Welcome to the Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts. We are your international headquarters for resources and ideas and insight in relation to the nine elements of holistic wellness. Join us as we interview local and international wellness experts and learn how you can implement and improve one element or dimension of wellness at a time. Our experts will share their practical tips on wellness in one of these core areas. Emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. In today's episode, I have Kristen Weisdack with me. Kristen is going to talk to us about all kinds of fun things. But Kristen, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and who you serve? Sure. I essentially help parents and professionals that are frustrated and overwhelmed with navigating behavioral issues, particularly if they have children or students with autism, ADHD, and behavioral concerns. A lot of the folks that I work with have children or students that have reached a plateau or traditional approaches aren't working, or perhaps their child is still on a waiting list for months or years for services. And I work with them through training and consultations. And I also have monthly membership groups that I help people understand and address the root causes of behavior. So essentially during my events or my consultations, we talk about how even a C-section versus vaginal birth or gut issues or nutritional issues, food allergies, intolerances, sensitivities, how trauma affects behavior. So we really look at the root cause because I find that traditional approaches address the symptoms. And so we really focus on asking the right questions about medical history, developmental history, to to focus on what's really going on. And behavior presents itself. It's always communication, but we need to find out what it communicates. And I've been doing that work for the last 18 years. And I absolutely love it. I love that. And uh, I'm kind of thinking tongue in cheek that a lot of employers um, could be looking at behavioral issues for employees as well. But let's let's talk about the parent side. Um, So what brought you to this, this space dealing with the behavior issues? Even back as far as I can remember in the third grade, I had this experience where Mrs. Packin was my teacher. She was a like four foot five spitfire little lady that wore high heels every day. And she had asked the the group, the, the group of students, uh, if they wanted to go outside and play for recess or that they wanted to go next door to work with the children with special needs. And I went and I worked with the children with special needs and I really never looked back. I remember playing a game of cards. It was a simple game of war with this child that was in a wheelchair and it was just fantastic. It was the simplest interaction that made the biggest difference for that child. And then as I got older, I just was always drawn to helping other people. And uh, I had a job in customer service for a long time. And one of the ladies that I was working with actually was quitting to work in a school district. Um, And so I followed her lead 
and was working that very next Monday in, uh, in a, an autistic support classroom with a bunch wow. of boys. <laughs> <laughs> and it was incredible. It was incredible. So just always a curious, a naturally curious person, honestly, just wanting to know why, 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 as I worked more in the classrooms, I wanted to know, well, why isn't that child talking yet? Or why are they always flapping? Or why are they always rocking? Or so it's this perpetual why that has me questioning. And that, and then I made my own humans too, Jeff. So that perpetuated my <laughs> want to learn more and do better for them and myself. So um, just being a naturally curious person and then finding out at 40 that I also have a high functioning autism has really shaped the way that I understand and interact when behavior issues happen. And uh, I love that self-awareness. I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people who later in life find out they're on the spectrum and, um, you know, there, there's that high functioning label where people like you and I, we don't get diagnosed because we seem to function well, but it's also recognizing how much work people like you and I have to do. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I hate the label high functioning, by the way, because it, it's insulting to those who aren't. But, uh, you know, I, I get that we need labels. Right. Um, one of my favorite labels I've adopted and, and embraced is I loved when I heard the phrase neurodiverse, I went, that's me. And then a friend of mine gave me the phrase neuro, neuro spicy. And I was like, okay, you and I are going to be best friends. Depending on the phases of the moon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can be more, more neuro spicy. That's for sure. But I always tell people that I don't think in straight lines, I think in fireworks because it's never, and that's why I kind of like look off to the side during some conversations because I'm trying to process so much information yeah. So it's, yeah, so those, those terms can be used interchangeably, I think, but labels are effective because it helps us understand how to address what's going on. Yeah. Like when you go to the doctor, you need to know if you have a bacterial issue or a viral issue, because then you know what medications mm -hmm. to take, or in my case, natural supplements. I try to remain natural as much as I can, but you know what you need to help yourself. And so I think that's the power in it, that labels are seen as, you know, negative in a certain light. But from my perspective, it's very enlightening and has been really helpful for me. Yeah. And, and I get in your work, I think labels are really needed. I mean, but here, here's one of the things um, I'll, I'll connect you with Mark Smeets. I, I did an interview with him last week. And um, he has ADHD. His wife has ADHD and both of their Actually, no, I think he has one son has ADHD. So they created a podcast on ADHD. And then in the process, they realized, oops, we're also on the spectrum. And oops, we also have this. And he said, you know, one of the things I found fascinating, and I want your take on this, is that there's no perfect patient who has like one thing. And, you know, like you need to pull back the layers because what part of it is nutritional, what part of it is behavioral, what part of it is, you know, nature, nurture, <laughs> what part is being contributed by autism and, oh, what does ADHD bring to the conversation? Yeah, there's a lot of different things to consider, but that's part of the assessment. When I meet with a family for a consultation, it takes about an hour and a half to two hours. And we ask conversation, we have ask specific questions and have conversations to say, well, 
you know, was the child born C-section or vaginal? Was there a trauma that happened during the pregnancy? Is there, uh, in the child's medical history, is there a history of eczema or ear infections or reflux? Yeah. Uh, does the child have chronic constipation or diarrhea? And there's other doctors out there doing work to look at lesions on the brain. And so there are specific scans that you can do to target that. But the beautiful thing is that idea of neuroplasticity. When you do the right interventions, there's something called MNRI. It's Muscatova Neurosensory Motor Reflex Integration and Functional Neurologists that when you know what interventions to do, you can actually build new neural connections around the damaged areas and have a profound impact on the trajectory of that person's life. But again, you can't just be treating the symptoms. You have to understand and address the root causes. So yes, it seems like this you know, mess of all these things that are coming together, but we help people systematically weed through all that and say, oh, this is correlated to this is correlated to this. So I've had families that let's say that their child has reflux and they don't like to be on their tummies and they don't like crawling. The problem is whenever you don't crawl symmetrically, it affects the way that your brain hemispheres connect. It impacts your hand-eye coordination, your binocular vision, your motor planning, but it also affects the way that your hand muscles develop, your thenar eminence and your hyperthenar eminence, which you need to have to, for good, smooth handwriting and coordination later in life. But because it affects your motor planning and your vision, it also affects your social emotional skills. All because you had reflux that impeded your crawling that's related to a cow's milk allergy. But it can be structural too with pyloric stenosis. That's a whole other thing. But but to know to ask the right questions and intervene early enough or intervene at some point in the right way has a profound impact. So we help people weed through all that and make sense of it. Well, and and I'm going to underline that knowing what questions to ask um, our our oldest son, he had some issues, um, an emergency C-section. And, you know, we were given the diagnosis, he's colicky, you know, it'll get better. And he was very cranky. And what we found out was that one of his shoulders was partially dislocated. And, you know, he couldn't tell us that, but we we kept asking questions because it wasn't pleasant you know he was always crying and and like extreme crying it was kind of we called him our little air raid siren um but magically we got his shoulder fixed and all of a sudden he was a sweet happy baby and you know we we did discover he had some issues with with um certain formulas so we found a formula for him but you know we had tried a lot of other things before we went to you know x-rays and and things like that but you know, the doctors were like, it's just colic. It'll, he'll grow out of it. And mm-hmm. so it's knowing right. what questions to ask, right? Well, right. But also knowing that you have to be working with the right professionals because typically physicians, pediatricians, general practitioners have their knowledge, right? They're, they're very much in their lane. What should be happening what we're what i'm working with other teams to inform is that when physicians go through their residency and they complete their education 
that they learn more about nutrition and how it impacts the body because their focus is on illness and not wellness. And so understanding, and they have their place. It's very warranted, right? If there's somebody that I need surgery, I need to go see that particular surgeon, that particular physician. But understanding the impact that nutrition and pre and probiotics has on your body, but understanding that colic and reflux, it can be related to dairy, gluten, other other food issues that are happening inside the body. But then if you don't address them, that can lead to leaky gut, which can lead to autoimmune issues, which can lead to a whole host of other things. So it's not only understanding what questions to ask, but what is the right person or who is the right person you should be working with to address those issues too. That's really critical. Yeah. Who, who do you actually need on your team is I think a good question to start with. Yeah, you need to find your tribe. But that's why on our channel, we have a YouTube channel called Beyond Behavior. And we've interviewed some parents that have been there, done that, that they were, their child had chronic ear infections and they had tonsils and adenoids that were chronically inflamed. And just so happens that on one of the appointments, the grandmother went with the parents and they were talking about uh, the grandmother had been doing some research, as many of the folks I work with do. They're they're Google doctors, <laughs> which can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but she had Googled the correlation that uh, cow's milk allergy has to inflammation and problems with tonsils and adenoids and ear infections. And so the grandmother says, well, what happens if we just remove milk? And the doctor said it probably won't have any impact, but we're going to schedule the surgery for like a month from now. And sure enough, they removed milk and he didn't need to have his tonsils or his adenoids removed. Now that's circumstantial, right? That's anecdotal. Not That's not the category that everybody's going to fall into. And we always have to guide that process through the right physician, obviously. But that's why we've created our channel to interview people like that and to interview developmental pediatricians and developmental optometrists and lifestyle medicine doctors. We've interviewed Dr. Alejandro Junger, a gut health expert, to talk about the role the gut dysbiosis plays in behavior and human development, the way we show up in the world. So there's a lot to consider, a lot to consider when you're working through these sorts of issues. And I think that's a, you know, it's a great anecdotal story because I grew up on a farm and, you know, we, we literally, um, I don't think we ever pasteurized the milk. We drank it straight from the cow, you know, let's call it whole milk because you know there's that cream on top and yeah you know i grew up with all kinds of ear infections and and sinus and throat issues and my doctor's solution was surgery let's do this let's do that you know take out the tonsils um you know people weren't thinking about milk back then um but i think that's a you know if you can eliminate some of the dietary things um, and maybe let's go down that path because i think that'll be useful what are some of the most common dietary things that are causing unexpected problems? Gluten, dairy, eggs, red dyes and dyes in general, and preservatives in food. So a lot of foods, even the, the food standards here in the U.S., a lot of the foods that are allowed here are banned in other countries. 
So it's really important as we work not just with families, but we work with early intervention providers, daycare owners, foster care families, is to just start reading labels and really understand what's in the food that you're eating and trying to make more well-informed decisions that's practical for your family's budget. So trying to look at, can is there a way we can practically incorporate you know, more whole foods in our diet? Can we get more fruits and vegetables? And some parents listening are probably gonna say, well, my kid would never try another food. You are one crazy woman. So there's different ways like incorporating fruit pouches or fruit, fruit, uh, fruit or vegetable smoothies, doing things like that. And then putting some flaxseed in there with your omega-3s, your omega-6s, putting some um, different healthy fats into their diet, but figuring out how to eat a more whole food plant-based diet um, that really is going to help change those things. But it all starts with the gut though, too. This is why it's so multifaceted. If you don't, if you're not taking a daily probiotic, your body is impacted in several ways. It impacts your immune system. It impacts your digestion. It impacts the creation of what are called neurotransmitters. There's inhibitory and excitatory neurotransmitters that help regulate a lot of things that are happening inside your body. One critical thing, though, is that it helps generate serotonin. And by it, I mean the pre and probiotics. It generates serotonin that then makes melatonin for sleep naturally in the body. So for a lot of these kids that aren't sleeping and anxious and nervous, they have gut issues. They have gut dysbiosis. And that's why when when I ask parents, you know, is the child have chronic constipation or diarrhea? And is their diarrhea or, or poop smell really bad? Or if a child has really bad breath or they're getting bacterial infections a lot, it's too much bad bacteria. So by knowing what questions to ask, you figure out what the root cause is, and then you say, this is the person you need to be working with. This is the type of physician you need to be working with because this, your answer A, B, and C told me that this is the red flag for this issue. So um, it's, it's just knowing what to ask and then what to do with the information and then connecting people with a network of of their tribe, finding finding their village, and first trusting your gut too. If you're a parent listening to this, trust your gut. If you're being told to do something that doesn't feel right, stop doing it and find somebody that will help you, that'll listen. <laughs> you should Asking. have a doctor to you. <laughs> I, I love that because I think, you know, a lot of people, we think, oh, the doctor's the last word. Um, sometimes you need to be confident enough to advocate for your child and ask for a second or a third or a fourth opinion because you know not every doctor has been to every medical conference read all the magazines you know I find it fascinating the connection between gut health and overall health and yet most doctors are still in the prescribe a pill and hope for the best sort of camp of things so well, right. Their average is anywhere from three to a maximum of a, maybe about 25 hours of nutrition training during the course of their schooling and their residency. Yep. So it's it's a focus on illness, which is warranted because if I'm sick, I need to I know who to go to. It can help me. Yeah. But it's not on wellness. And so working with a wellness provider that can help you maintain that is really, really critical to know what to look for. The way that I the way that I describe it to a lot of the families that I work with 
is it's a human recipe. You have your own recipe. I have my own recipe that says I can't have gluten or dairy. I need to eat limited amounts of soy. I need to take vitamin D, calcium, magnesium, zinc. But in order to find out what your recipe is, you need to have the right blood work done by the right people, interpreted by the right people. Because just like when you're making a cake and you substitute flour for sugar, it doesn't come out right. Not at all. <laughs> or if you if you put in the wrong ingredients, then the cake doesn't behave correctly. That's the yeah. same thing that's happening with human behavior. You don't have the right ingredients in your recipe that allows you to show up and interact with the world successfully. And I think that's one of the things um, I would carry forward is we each need to know what our unique recipe is because it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of that's genetics because that there's genetic heritability and all that. You have to look at the blood work. Um, some people are born with an inability to detoxify heavy metals, and that comes to a genetic test, specifically looking at things like the MTHFR and SUOX gene. That's your methylation and sulfation pathways in the body. You can do that through a hair test. Um, so there's all kinds of different tests. You can do hair analysis, blood analysis, urinalysis, looking at the stool to create a specific probiotic for you. Um, and if people have questions about a prebiotic and probiotic, I get that a lot. The probiotic are the actual bacteria and the prebiotic are what feeds that probiotic. So that's right. your fruit and vegetables. So I love that. And I think that's, we'll talk about some easy things people could do because, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the, the fruit smoothie. Oh, yes, and my man. wife has figured out exactly how much broccoli she can hide before the kids start <laughs> to go, wait, what's that taste? <laughs> so maybe I'll get some of your favorite tips. Um, now, let's back up a step here. I, I know you just finished um, school. So why don't you tell me about your your accomplishment? You're going to celebrate uh, graduation. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, just on Saturday, I'll be graduating from uh, Baylor University with my doctorate in learning and organizational change. Um, I research focused on the, the biopsychosocial approach and its application to treating autism. And so just breaking that down is bio, right, is biology, what's happening inside the body and the interaction. Psycho means the um, like trauma and different psychological experience you've had. And the social is your environment and the people and how you interact with those people in your environment. So that's external reactions, really. So George Inkle introduced it in 1977. And he said, you know, people are using this for pain management. They're using it for other treatments. And why can't we start to adopt it for treating other, other people? So I looked at how we can really start to apply it. But what's also happening right now in the world of applied behavior analysis, because here in the U.S., typically when you get an autism diagnosis, they say you need to start ABA right away. It's applied behavior analysis that looks at, you know, when I analyze your behavior from that social perspective, are you behaving because you're trying to get attention or escape, avoid a situation? Are you trying to get a tangible item um, or are you self-regulating, right? That's rocking, flapping, spinning, twisting myself, contorting myself everywhere. But it also looks at how like too much or too little food, oxygen, water, sleep, activity, pain, temperature, 
how all of these variables impact your behavior and how you show up in the world. One of the big things though, when you go through, when I went through that program, um, is the first rule of when you become a board certified behavior analyst is you have to rule out medical issues as a cause of behavior before you begin. But what I found through my research and what was justified when I went through my program is there's no robust curriculum that informs that process. So there's nothing that's prescribed that says this is the way you rule out medical issues. These are the specific questions you should be asking. And so what ends up happening is my participants were, by happenstance, using certain assessments that ask some minor questions about behavior and issues related to medical problems. But the major issue is they were referring those kids back to their pediatricians. So the main, main problem is that the pediatricians, they have their place, they're working on helping heal people. But the problem is that they have minimal nutrition training and they don't really understand gut dysbiosis typically, don't understand how food intolerances, what blood tests to order to check for like IgG, IgE sensitivities and reactivities. That is typically handled by a developmental pediatrician. But there's a bottleneck problem because there's not enough developmental pediatricians. So some families are left to find somebody that works in functional nutrition or an osteopathic doctor that knows how to order that blood work specifically. And so, um, but that's what my research and my work heavily focuses on now and has for the last few years is how, how can we take this holistic approach? And that's what I mean when I say holistic, that biopsychosocial approach, understanding what's happening inside the body, how the traumatic experiences and the social environment impact the way that that child shows up. So um, but that I finished that program and that's what I'll be celebrating on Saturday. So, wow. <laughs> and, and, and just, wow. Because, uh, you know, that's a seven year program condensed into three. Um, I'm guessing you haven't slept much or, <laughs> you know, clearly no, you, you found some balance, but, uh, that's no small feat. So congratulations on that. I, my husband was a big help in all of that. He has, put up with my unrelenting quest to find more and more knowledge. So I love him. And, and uh, he was, he was a big part of, of my success. So we're going to be celebrating him this weekend too. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So let's talk about what it's like to work with you. Cause I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I find, I have some, a lot of friends with special needs kids and, you know, they tend to stick to their communities. You know, they, you know, if somebody has autism, they have, they're part of autism communities, but I think sometimes there's a bigger community that's missed where, you know, a parent with special needs child, that's a special community there too. Um, so what does it look like to work with, with you doing your, your behavioral analysis and, and the process? Let's talk about how somebody could get help. So typically, they would schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation, um, just a conversation, right? They go to my Calendly link, the calendly.com forward slash behavior works, W-O-R-X-P-A. Schedule a complimentary 30-minute call, and we see if it's a good fit. Because some parents are looking for traditional approaches, and that's just fine. And we can help find somebody locally. The people that I am oh, really ideally 
looking to work with are the families that want to take a holistic approach, um, that want to understand why their child is walking around with dark circles under their eyes or why they have chronic constipation or diarrhea or why do they have white spots under their nail beds? You know, that's another thing. We can just do a visual assessment of that child and know that white spots under the nail beds means a zinc deficiency and that affects smell and taste. And that could be why they're a picky eater. So I'm looking for the families that want to go and take a broader view, the 30,000 foot view of what's really, really happening. Um, so yes, the, the parents that are part of those parent groups um, that might already be in ABA or, or on a waiting list. Um, but what I, what's funny is there's, there's some parents that I work with that they said, oh yeah, I have that friend who is a functional nutritionist that had been, been telling me about that for a while, but we <laughs> never really connected. And so we talk about all these different approaches that are out there to help them and, and try to give them information so they can wait, make a well-informed decision. But the biggest piece is acknowledging that child's successes so far, noting their successes and listening to families because they are the experts for their children. And once we can do that and give them the time and the space, such a relief that it provides. Um, and so that's part of that consultation piece. And then I have a monthly membership group. And what we do is meet once a week, every Tuesday from 7.30 to 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. The first 30 minutes is Q&A from questions that anybody has asked for that week. And then the second 30 minutes is two 15-minute breakout groups so that people can connect and create community and share resources. And then once a month, I do a deep dive on a topic related to holistic approaches. We talk about nutrition or gut dysbiosis. And then every other month, I bring in an expert from another field. So um, this month, uh, I think we're going to meet on the 24th or 25th, whatever that Thursday is. We have actually two folks joining us. So we have um, an author of a book, Patricia Lemer, Outsmarting Autism. And she is talking all things holistic approaches. And then we also have Melissa Dealey coming on this, on the, uh, in the group to talk about functional nutrition and the work that she does for analysis to, to get answers for families. I, I love the resources in the community you're building. And I think that's when I meet people, I say, you know, find your tribe because we're smarter as a group. You know, if, if I connect with you, suddenly our networks double and we can each reach out and say, hey, I've got this thing going on. Um, but I think one of the funny things I say about kids is, you know, they didn't read the manual on how they're supposed to behave. We didn't get the manual that came with them. So, you know, we're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, I'm, I'm very practical in life when it comes to solving problems, you know, start with the easiest thing first, you know, if that's diet, nutrition, you know, whatever it is, and then, okay, now we can look at medications. And then, you know, down the road, do we look at surgery? Um, I think that's what's missing is that ability to just ask some questions and say, you know, um, do I need this? And I know my wife is definitely a big fan of Dr. Google and, you know, it's it, <laughs> now to be clear, we use it as a starting point to say, what questions should we ask? Um, I do know there are some people that are self-treating at home because, you know, they saw a YouTube video and, you know, YouTube said, oh, you just need to do this. Um, I, I'm always a fan of having a medical professional 
Um, now it's interesting because yesterday somebody said to me, there's no money in wellness. Everybody is so, you know, all of the money in the North American economy is in people being sick. You know, doctors get repeat visits. Um, what are some tips you can give our, our parents here? Um, just little things that they can look for, ways they can help. Um, you know, we talked about smoothies and stuff, but um, are there any environmental tips you would have about, you know, the, the space? Well, if you can, uh, if you're looking for just quick win strategies, so this is kind of like the library of resources I have in my group. So quick win strategies is to, um, you yourself as a parent first need to take care of yourself. <laughs> There's this idea of co-regulation that even when we come in within 10 feet of another person, we're all just cells that vibrate at a certain frequency. And when we're in a mood, our vibrations change. And so the idea of co-regulation means that you as the parent need to be able to show up in a positive way so that your negative energy doesn't shift their energy to be even more negative. So the we teach a lot of belly breathing, so like holding your hand on your belly, and as you take an in-breath, you should feel your belly rise. And we breathe in through the nose for four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for the mouth through four, and then hold for four, and then repeat that three or four times. So we talk about deep breathing, we talk about drinking ice water and splashing cold water on your face because, or meditating if you can. Those practices help you go from fight or flight to rest and digest. They activate a very important nerve in your body called the vagus nerve. And vega in Latin means to wonder because it does this beautiful thing that connects your organs with your brain and your brainstem. And so a lot of these parents and kids are walking around disconnected from their own bodies. So if you can do those simple things as a parent, take care of yourself, make sure that you're getting enough rest and sleep, but also start to connect with other people in your community. Find your tribe, find your supports if you haven't already. Look at um, other holistic practitioners, um, but also look at your own child and start asking questions of your doctor and finding other people in your area that are that are already using different solutions. You know, I would say if you're a parent that is listening to this and, you know, you're sitting there looking at your own child and they have allergy shiners, which means they have like dark pink or purple under their eyes, or if they have white spots under their nail beds, or if they have chronic constipation or diarrhea, a history of eczema, ear infections, you know, just schedule a 30 minute complimentary call. And I can give you some valuable information for, you know, I'm, there's no charge for that, that 30 minute call, just to understand who we might be able to connect you with, what you can do in the here and now, and just making ever so slight adjustments. Um, if, if you know that you as, as the parent, as the mom or the dad, has issues with dairy or gluten, change yeah. just one source of that for your own child's diet. But just change one thing. Under the care of your physician, if you can help it. But just make that one change to see how it changes their behavior. How it changes their, their bowel movements. How it changes their behavior. You know, if they love chicken nuggets, let's say, find some gluten-free chicken nuggets and see if they'll try them. 
<laughs> I laugh because my my ten year old has like world class refined taste buds, and he's like, "Wait a minute, you you changed this." And it's like, "No, no, no." <laughs> so what I would do is I would look at the white spots, see if he has white spots under his nail beds, because what ends up happening um, is that the white spots under the nail beds, like I uh, referred to earlier, can can signal a zinc deficiency and zinc plays an important role in smell and taste. And so when my smell and taste aren't working accurately, I tend to ward off anything that's unfamiliar. And so the body rejects it because it's a fear that it's going to cause me harm if I can't smell it and taste it correctly. These are the things that I know and love and everything else gets rejected. So it's just thinking about these things. Are they showing up for my own child? And what bigger implications does it have for their health and wellness? But start them on a pre and probiotic and start them on a daily vitamin. Okay. Yes. He, he, you mentioned the, um, the, would you call it allergy shiners? Um, the allergic, well, they're allergic, allergy, allergic shiners that are under oh. the, under the eyes. Yes. Yeah. He's had this purpleness under his eyes since he was a baby and the doctors go, Oh, it, he'll grow out of it. And it's like, I kind of feel like it's there for a reason, but. Our skin yeah. is our biggest organ. And when it malfunctions, it's giving us information. So it can be from, Food allergies, intolerances, sensitivities, and inability to detoxify, sleep problems. It could be genetic. But again, that's why we don't, we take out the guesswork. Once you can get the blood work that's ordered and interpreted by the right person, you understand what's going on with that human recipe. What else do we need to take out? What do we need to put in? And you have your your specific guide on like what I just shared earlier. What are some quick win things that you as the parent or caregiver can do right now today that are super simple, but what are some long-term solutions that we can do to help? And, and I think that's, you know, I like to give people quick wins because once they get that first win, then they, you know, they tend to go down a more energized path a little faster. Um, but I think there is no quick you know, we, we have to recognize that this is a lifelong journey. You know, you're discovering things as, as you take your, your schooling and, and, you know, as you raise kids and things. Um, but I think it's just having that curiosity to say, you know, what's, what's causing this. And I think your, your biggest tip I heard in all of this was have that tribe, um, you know, and I, and I appreciate that you've got these resources, because um, I find a lot of parents, you know, they go down the route of Dr. Google and then, you know, they, they end up feeling worse and alone because now they're scared, but they don't know where to start. So, um, yeah, because then you're left with like 80 different things that might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another another fun thing, too, is I'll just add quickly before we before we part ways. A lot of the kids that I work with with autism and ADHD are 40% more likely to have something called oculomotor dysfunction. And there's vision, which is one thing. Vision, like 2020 vision is, can, can I see a 20 point font in a 20 foot distance? That's what those two numbers mean. The other thing about ocular motor dysfunction means are the eye muscles coordinating my eye movements together? Yeah. So one test that you can do, if you can get your child to hold their head still, you always want to have them follow an object that they like. 
So I have, I just did an assessment yesterday. And so what you do is start on their left because we read from left to right and you're gonna hold the pen just in the frame of their face. So I'm not gonna go any wider than my glasses, but I'm gonna start here and I'm gonna hold it just in line right out with where their eyes are looking. Now, as you're doing this very slowly, as you look at their eyes to see if they're wiggling or not, then you go up and down. Again, I'm not going any higher or lower than my forehead or my chin. And then I'm gonna go in a little circle. And then you can also check their convergence. You can bring the pen here, and then you can hide it behind this bridge of the nose here and see if both eyes can look and do the same over here. What you would notice very quickly is when they're going back and forth like this, is there's a little wiggle in their eye or if they have trouble tracking. Because a lot of kids will have a nystagmus response, which is if you were, imagine looking through a camera all the time. And that's why some kids will side eye like this to look at the TV or the board. Because when you side eye like this, it stretches the eye muscles so that wiggle stops. And that's called your null point. So people will see that as behavior or they're like side-eyeing, give you attitude. That's stopping the wiggle so that they can make eye contact and focus on what you're doing. <laughs> so that's one of their little things that families can yeah. check. Because if your eyes aren't working together, your eyes tell your ears what to focus on. I'll repeat that. The eyes tell the ears what to focus on. So if your eyes are not working together, your sensory filters change. And so now you're focused on everything that's going on around you. And so that's one really quick way. Again, you have to make sure your child's head is being held still to see if their vision is a problem, if they have that ocular motor dysfunction. And then through the assessment process, we can help people find somebody in their area that can also help, help address that. Because that can be diagnosed as ADHD, but it's actually uh, ocular motor dysfunction. And again, peeling the layers and saying, okay, this is that, this is that, you know, making it easy. So I think that's um, a lot of wonderful things. Now, if somebody wants to get to know you, um, so you had your Calendly link. Um, I think you and I are connected on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, where else do you hang out online that I can send people to? Uh, so we have our website, the Behavior Works, Behavior W-O-R-X of southwesternpa.com. And then we also have our YouTube channel called Beyond Behavior. Mm -hmm. um, on the website, it talks about the services, the folks that we work with before. We have a blog with some of the video interviews that we've done, um, but it also provides a snippet of the information we have on our YouTube channel. So people can check more about our work on those two resources as well. Awesome. Well, I didn't ask you everything I wanted to. There's a thousand things. You were the expert at being Kristen. Is there any question I should have asked you that I didn't? I think we covered it. I think we covered it. Uh, well, the only thing I would say is one snippet of information. When you're considering putting your child in a social skills group, this is one thing that I just talked about yesterday, and it comes up in a lot of assessments. When you're thinking about putting your child in a social skills group, thinking about if they have the foundational skills they need to be successful in that group. Because if their eyes aren't working together and they have poor motor planning, 
you may need to consider another program that helps set them up for success better. And when you're considering if your child is happy or not, think about not what brings you happiness, but what brings them joy. Because my husband will often, I'm very introverted. I, I can talk about what I love freely for hours and hours and hours, but making small talk is very, very difficult. So when you're considering happiness, it is different for everyone. So thinking about, you know, you obviously need to teach your, your child new skills so that they can blossom into who they're meant to be. Yeah. But make sure that they have time to be in their flow states. Make sure that they have time to be happy. Because my happiness doesn't necessarily come from being in large groups of people. I get overwhelmed. I get anxious. I'm nervous. I don't like it. You know, really identifying. And if you have can have a conversation with your child, say, what are some things that make you happy? And how can we do those more often? Mm -hmm. We get and caught up so much in what our kids aren't doing but uh, celebrate their successes and define their own happiness for them. I, I love that. And I just wanted to share that um, Susan Kane, she wrote an amazing book. I think it's something about quiet, but it's just the power of, of um, introverts in a noisy world. And I have, I'm an introvert. Both my boys are introverted and my wife is more extroverted. I think she's still introverted, but she's always planning these activities and my kids are like, can we just go home now? You know, and she gets annoyed with them. And I'm like, but you realize you pulled this kid away from a book and threw him into a social interaction with a hundred kids. He's eager to get back to his book and decompress. So, well, that's, a, that's an interesting way because behaviorism comes into that too. So how can, if I'm trying to teach my child a new skill and this comes into like scaffolding, right? How can I how can I meet them where they are and help them build on new skills? Think about before you put them into what you perceive as a challenging learning situation, how can I incorporate their preferences into that so that they will be more engaged? Think about how I can maybe facilitate a conversation with a peer to say, oh, you like Legos? He likes Legos too. You guys could talk about that. Or dinosaurs. Yeah. You both have dinosaur shirts on. That's really cool. <laughs> so thinking about how you can really make those environments and those situations more preferable for your child. I love it. And and I think that's, you and I could talk for hours, but uh, Kristen, <laughs> I know you've got uh, a trip to plan or you've got uh, some packing to do. So I want to thank you, first of all, on behalf of my viewers and listeners, I want to thank you for hanging out with me today. Well, thank you for the invitation, Jeff. It's great to talk with another neurodivergent, neurospicy, whatever you want to call yourself today, depending <laughs> on the phases of the moon. But depending it's always on great. The mood. <laughs> right. It's always great to connect with like-minded people. So I appreciate the opportunity to reach a broader audience, Jeff. I truly appreciate your work. Well, and honestly, I love meeting great people like yourself. So this is fun. And, and my audience knows if they like what we talked about, they'll reach out to you. And and I encourage them to do so because I think uh, I love the resources you have. And I'll put uh, the links in the show notes. So um, thank you for your time today. Thank you.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to either click the link below or scan the QR code to register and listen to other episodes of our podcast. Or if you think your business or you would be a great guest to be on our show, we're always looking for experts in one of the nine elements of holistic wellness. We'd love to have you. You can either click the link below or you can scan the QR code and complete our speaker intake form. Thank you and to your wellness.